Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Hey, 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 happy new year, happy 2023. It is so excited. I'm excited about this year. I hope everybody's set out their intentions, their goals, their aspirations, things they're going to target and focus on because this is going to be a really good year back to normal for everyone. Now, I have something super special for you. But before we get into this, I have to thank all of you, every last one of you for making this possible because we set a goal in the last week to hit 250,000 downloads and we needed 3000 people to listen to the podcast. What we finished up the year with is 254,000 downloads. Like you guys are absolutely amazing pulling it out listening sharing i cannot thank you enough i am so incredibly happy and you know it's one of those cool things i was just looking at the statistics people use alexa <laughs> hey alexa bring up secrets from the saddle podcast and it's anyways i just found that cute because you one of, one of the statistics is like the operating systems that people use to um, listen to the podcast. Anywho, I just had to share that with you. Um, and yeah, but this podcast episode, I noticed um, we did a three-part series with Joe Farrell on his book, Fast After 50, How to Race Strong for the Rest of Your Life. Now, I always talk about when we did this episode, it was episode 251, 5, and 7, somewhere around then. And I noticed that people didn't listen to all three, like because they had lower to higher listenership. So I decided, I've been thinking about this for a while, is just putting all three of them together into one big episode so that you could listen to all of it and you don't have to go and look for, you know, episode number two and episode number three. So fast after 50, uh, we broke it down to performance, nutrition, and uh, putting together programs and all sorts of little things in between. Um, I highly recommend um, listening to this book on audio and then buying the book. Uh, that's what I did. I went through it a couple times and then I bought it as reference material and then I started using it. And um, Joe is absolutely amazing for just talking through and explaining. And he is just a wealth of knowledge. Like his books are hand down the best. 
And another little tidbit is that he was telling me, and I'm not sure if it's in the episode, but this book will cease to be published at some point in time. I think it's when it runs out of uh, edition, like um, uh, when they run out, then it won't be offered anymore. So make sure you get your hands on one. Um, so I, I really hope that you enjoy this. It is a longer one, but it's so packed full of information. And with that, have an amazing year. I hope this book helps you with your year's worth of training and putting things together and making sense of things, avoiding overtraining um, and injury. Especially as we get older, things you have to make some of these quantum shifts. Like, I don't know about you, but I felt in the last two years, and I'm certainly grateful that I had my hands on here, this book, and I'm changing up my training to be smarter, not harder, more recovery, more rest. And it's been working. And I've got a really rocking summer. I'm going to share that with you in later episodes, but have a seat and take it all in. Have a great year and enjoy this. Take care, everyone. Bye. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, All Things Cycling Podcast. And as I mentioned, this is a super important three-part series with Joe Friel. I've mentioned this and I'm really, really excited because what we're going to be talking about is his book, Fast After 50. And as I was mentioning to Joe, if this I should have had been reading about five years ago, I'm 51 now. I waited till I was 50 to pick it up and I know he laughs. And I've also learned that you better get your copy because it might not be produced. Who knows what the future is for this book? Um, it's with a publisher, but so I'm going to add an Amazon link in the description. Get your book, listen to it in audio. Um, it's really, really good to listen to in audio and get the book as a reference. And so that's why I asked Joe if he would be open to coming on the podcast to do a three-part series. And we're basically, what we're going to do is we're breaking this up into three sections. So the first one will be, how do you know, like you're getting older, right? Sometimes we have to... <laughs> except the fact that we are no longer 30 or 20 or high, you know, high school athletes, and we need to make specific changes. Then we're going to talk, uh, segment two is going to be the diet, how that's going to change. And then the really cool part is number three will be high performance training and intensity. And welcome, Joe. I am so, so excited to have you here again he was on the podcast um last year we were talking about his ride inside book which i read as well <laughs> and i've used this on my swift journey welcome joe hi sylvie thanks very much for having me on on board with you i'm looking forward to it well i'm always looking forward to talking in depth with professionals like yourself to really um you know because if if our listeners, I mean, 
just put in the comments on YouTube or Instagram, like how many of your of Joe's books do you have, honestly, in your library? Because I have three more. <laughs> I have the triathlete, the mountain biker, and the road cyclist. And, uh, you know, I've used those for you know, training athletes, for myself. But I find that these two books, Ride Inside and Fast After 50, just super amazing um, training material for anybody who's getting started. So, all right, Joe, we've got these three segments, like I mentioned, everybody. So make sure that you um, sign up for our newsletter. This is new so that you don't miss these episodes. All right. So number one today, we are going to talk about the senior aging athlete. And we're going to bring, like, I know what I said, senior. It doesn't mean you're 80 years old. It means you are starting to move into an age that's, you know, where you're starting to notice different things about your body. And um, I told Joe that I was going to use myself as a subject for this um, because I'm 51. And like I said, I picked up this book because I turned 50. And I'm like, oh, this is something I need to read now that I'm 50. But Here's the thing, we start making changes in our bodies as women much earlier than 50 that I noticed. So, so like I said, our episode number one is about the senior aging athlete, the definition. And then two is how important is routine sleeping eating? And then three is gonna be the high performance. So Joe, let's start with the senior aging athlete and what that means. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think probably the first thing people notice when they, they get to the, to the age where they're, uh, they're beginning to experience some uh, downside performance, before that happens, the first thing we usually realize is that we're not recovering as fast as we did when we, when we were younger. I can recall when I was in college on the track team, um, the coach used to have us do the same workout every day. This is back in the 1960s when coach, sports science wasn't too big back in the 1960s. It was mostly the way your coach had coached you. And the way he had been coached apparently was to do intervals from sunup to sundown. And that's what we did. Um, so we call, I call it intervals till you puke. Um, <laughs> what he'd do is we'd warm up and he would He'd blow his whistle and we'd all come running over to the bleachers where he was sitting next to the track. And uh, we knew what was next. And he, this is a cinder track. So he had drawn a line with his foot across the track. And that was a starting point and the finishing point because we were going to run 440 yard intervals. Today we call them 400 meter intervals, but back then it was 440 yards. And he'd step back and he'd blow his whistle. And that meant go. And so there'd be all of us to take off around the track we had no idea how fast we were supposed to run or anything else, how, how much recovery we would have, et cetera. Just go run as hard as you can. Had no idea how many we were going to do. So when we got done with each interval, we'd be standing there with our hands on our knees, trying not to, not to throw up yet. And uh, he's telling us how poor we are and how we've got to improve. we got to get faster. We're just not fast enough. And all the kind of stuff that coaches used to do. And this, this would happen five days a week. And when we would do those intervals until somebody started puking. 
And when somebody started puking, that would usually get his attention. We were down, I knew then we were down to the last one or two. We may be doing only 18, we may be doing 12, we may be doing 30. We have no, absolutely no idea what, happened, what we're doing or how fast or anything else. And only he had, of course, had a stopwatch. We had no idea what the times were unless he told us our times and we came across the, the line he had drawn on, on the cinders. And I would recover from that every day and go out and do it again the next day. It was five days a week because back in the 1950s, 1960s, you did not train on the weekends. Nobody trained on the weekends. Even Roger Bannister in the 1950s didn't train on the weekends. He only trained on weekdays. That was just the way it was. And so we, I'd do that five days a week and I'd recover and I was always ready to go the next, the next day. Now, if I just do that workout when I, when I turn 50, I may be able to complete one of those sessions and that would be it for the entire week. Um, it was just so stressful that it's, it's it's beyond comprehension how hard that 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 was the way we trained back in those days there was no science to it or even any thought given to it it was just go out and do it and so that's the first thing we usually recognize is we're not we're not recovering like we used to and then we may begin to notice that sometime in our late 30s early 40s perhaps not a big deal but you're just not recovering as fast as you were. But by the time you're in your 50s, it's becoming rather evident that you need more rest. And some the problem is most athletes are not willing to listen to their body. And so they decide to push on and keep trying to do intervals till you puke seven, five times a week. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's the starting point for this whole discussion is it, it begins because we recognize that we're just not recovering as fast as we used to. That usually causes people to say, okay, what should I do about this? And that's, that's where the whole question begins of a whole, the whole uh, process begins of making changes to my training reluctantly. So that, that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. You know, I had, a, I was mentioning that I had a couple and it's, it's hard mentally to actually grasp that because <laughs> I find, you know, like, when I was reading your book, and we're going to talk about this in the last segment a little bit more, uh, more, but recognizing that you need to uh, incorporate more rest days, I was just like, no, but I have to work. I have my training schedule for, you know, the seven days and like you're talking to extend it like we don't I don't want to get into detail about that. But that was one of the first things. And also, I'm telling you, Joe, the Garmin, if you have a Garmin and you finish a workout, it'll literally tell you how many days you have to rest or hours. I'm just like, what? So I do an interval on Swift and it comes back and say, you need to rest 72 hours before the next workout. It's like 72 hours. That's like uh, three, four days. And then I'm like, wow really and i and then i did it and i'm like whoa okay i do feel refreshed there is a little bit of you know real like reality to this but right now like as this the aging athlete so that's the first thing is the mental acceptance of knowing that we cannot keep doing workouts day in and day out and did you find that that was one of those things that it took you a while or it maybe it takes your athletes a little bit of a, you know, to accept that? 
and listen to you as a coach? Yeah, it's hard to do it for yourself, let alone yeah. get other people to do it. Uh, but yes, that, that is certainly the case. And you mentioned training schedules. Uh, I'm probably the father of training schedules in the U.S. anyway. And and uh, um, but there's a downside to training schedules. They're not they're not perfect. You, you can create a training schedule, but the problem is people think once they've created, they've got to do it regardless of what happens. They've got to somehow get in that workout uh, despite everything going on in their lives and how they feel and everything else. And that's really not the case. Training schedules are meant to be um, molded, meant to be mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. I, I never had an athlete that I, I coached make it through an entire season without his training schedule being changed. And usually yeah. quite significantly. So you got to yeah. be prepared to say, you know, this is just not going to work out for me to do this today. I got to do something different. I got to take an easy day, maybe even a day mm -hmm. off, but I just can't go out and do this hard workout today. So that, that's the challenge we face is we, we, we're very uh, dedicated to planning and thinking ahead, mm -hmm. building toward our goals. But you've also got the same time realize that um, there may be, a, you may not always be up to doing it on, on any given day. You've got to be, be prepared to say, okay, I'm going to take more rest today. That's just the way it is. If you don't do that, you're doomed to poor performance the rest of your career. You've got yeah. to be able to say, I'm taking a, a break. I'm going to have to go easy or I'm not going to train at all today or whatever it may be. You've got to do that, but people are reluctant. Yeah. I, yeah, I see that a lot. And, and then at the end of the day, you're like, how are you doing with that <laughs> workout or how is your body feeling? But for, for this part, let's get back to the aging that affects. And then you've, outline certain things like nurture versus nature. And I was, I thought that was kind of interesting. So nature is more of our genetic material of what we're, we're made of. And then nurture is the lifestyle, like our exercise behavior. Can you talk more on those two um, elements that I guess we need to recognize first off before we get into like the goals and the training plan and like, you know, sure. at, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you've summarized already the starting point for this, which is that nature is basically genetics, what you, what you inherited, who you are genetically. Um, that's, you're, you're not going to change that. That's just who you are. And we're, we're all unique in those ways. There's many things that go into that. For example, uh, well, I'm sure we'll come back to hormones probably several times over the course <laughs> of the next uh, discussions about this whole topic. Mm -hmm. But the hormones you produce and how much you produce of those hormones, um, the balance you have of those hormones in your body is largely determined by who your, your, your ancestors were, what you, what you inherited from them. And we're not all the same. We're all humans, but we have these subtle differences between us and how our bodies have, have uh, been put together. And we need to be very cautious when we deal with these things that we don't try to make ourselves into somebody else's nerd mm. nature. We've got to accept the nature we have and what we can do, what we can do with that nature as opposed to trying to, to uh, um, change the nature. That's not going to happen. So when we try to change the nature, now we're talking about the nurture part. Nurture is 
and basically how you live your life, your lifestyle, as you mentioned. Mm. And that's, that's all the stuff we do. It's your diet. It's, it's the exercise program you follow. It's the sleep you get. It's, and, and all these things blend together to give you um, who you're trying to become. And you're trying to become this athlete within the boundaries of what nature gave you. So there's limitations placed on what you can do and what you can't do. And we've got to be, learn to accept those because we're not all the same. There, you know, you mm -hmm. look at elite athletes, like uh, you take uh, Ironman elite athletes or Tour de France riders or marathon runners mm -hmm. that, you know, that run sub 210 for the marathon. You know, these people are not normal. Um, they're, they're not <laughs> like you and me. We can't use them as goal, as role models for how we should be training. Uh, they can do things that are unique because they're unique. They've got this nature behind them, which has given them a body, which is uh, capable of doing things that, that hardly anybody else on the planet could do. So you can't use these people and say, okay, because this athlete does this workout, I, I need to do that same workout. It mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. You've got to decide what is right for you. And you, it's interesting to look at the elite athletes and how they do things, but don't take them as being the way you should do it. They're, they're, not, they're not you. They're different people altogether. So keep that in mind always. If you're trying to find what works for you that's best. And, and the only way they usually find that is by trial and error. And by the time you're in your 50s, if you've been in sport for some time, you should have already given that some thought and have some ideas. You've probably been fighting them, fighting these things that are going on in your mind about what should I be doing, but you've got to learn to accept them. So that's nature versus nurture. Uh, nature, we're not going to do anything about. Uh, we can help it, but we can't really change it. Nurture is where you've got great control. Right. And uh, that's why we aren't all Olympic athletes, because clearly those like you say, pro athletes, Olympic athletes, they do literally stand out amongst the rest of us. And, <laughs> and when you find someone who is actually like super good, like at what they're doing, then, you know, they, and I, I was just thinking of um, an interview I did with Bree Vine. Her husband is Ryan Vine, who is working towards getting on the pro tour. And the thing is that they, together as a couple, they recognized that his abilities were going to take him far, you know, and, and I think it's like finding that and, and building on it because then that's, you know, when you, when you find a talent, it goes the distance. So you mentioned, oh, did you have something you want to say? Hmm? No. So you mentioned limiters. And this is another thing, I guess, that would go into the lifestyle part, or sort of the nurture part, which is, you know, what's holding us back? What are our weaknesses that we can uh, control? And, um, you know, just talking on that, because there, you know, there's a couple of them. There's body weight. Um, aerobic capacity, muscle development, um, and things like that. Do you want to talk on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we've all got um, <laughs> limiters. Um, mm -hmm. 
this is an idea I began developing from my own coaching back in the 1980s was that athletes come to me and they tell me what their weaknesses are. You know, an athlete will tell me, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at climbing hills on a bike and that's my weakness. But if I look at what their races they're doing and there are no hills on the courses they're doing, it no longer matters to me if they can climb a hill fast or not for that particular a priority mm -hmm. race. So it's not, it's not really a limiter. It's not, it's not keeping them from mm -hmm. achieving their, their race goal. So limiters are weaknesses that are specific to the event we're training for. And we'll all have these. Mm -hmm. So if you, for example, if you're training for an Ironman distance race, one of the most basic limiters is being able to hold out for X number of hours. Can you do a 12 hour, 13 hour, 14 hour event and, mm -hmm. and make all the cutoffs? You know, that, that, that's, you know, if you can't do that, that's a limiter. And that tells me one thing immediately, you've got to work on your endurance. You got to be able to stay out there for X number of hours. And so until we do that, it doesn't matter about anything else. You've got to be able to, to endure for the amount of time that we were aiming at for our goal. And, and there are obviously all kinds of limiters. That's a physiological limiter. Mm -hmm. We also have limiters that are, that are psychological that, you know, I, I don't think I can mm -hmm. do it. Uh, or you've got a spouse or a friend who says, who doesn't support your, your goal and who also doesn't think you can do it. Uh, that's a, that's a, a real burden to carry. Especially I, I had mm -hmm. once had an athlete whose goal was to run a marathon his first marathon and his wife thought running marathons was stupid. So he never had support. So he had to get up every Saturday morning to do his long run. He would get up at like at four o'clock in the morning. So when he got back after his long run, she would just be waking up and he wouldn't have to put up with the, 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 uh, the, 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 uh, you know, the challenge she would give him about what he had just done, which is run for two plus hours. Yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, that, that's always a challenge. And by the way, he did not uh, complete the marathon. He just, he just had too many challenges to deal with wow. uh, in his life. That was only one of them, but that, that's just the way it is for in life sometimes. So some of these, you know, so that, that was definitely a limiter for this guy. But, you know, that was, that's not the sort of limiter you're going to change easily. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned from him that what I need to do is start including, when this was the case, include spouses in, in the conversations or best friends, perhaps even, um, yeah. to talk about what we're trying to achieve here and how we're going about doing this and how important it is for them to support their, their spouse or yeah. significant other. So that, you know, so that I learned from that lesson from that athlete, rather that, um, I need to include everybody in the conversation, especially when that was mm -hmm. a limiter. So everybody's mm -hmm. got limiters. It could be, it could be, uh, it could be lifestyle. You're, you're, you work 80 hours a week. And yet you want to do an Ironman. Well, that's, yes. <laughs> that's, that's a limiter. You know, that there's something holding you back there from achieving your goal. Mm -hmm. And we've got to figure that out. How are we going to do this given your, your limiter or do we, can we change your limiters or somebody to do that? So there's, so there's, <laughs> there's all these things. So they're not, it could be nutritional. The athlete just has mm. a terrible diet. You know, that's something that's probably more easily changed than your, your work routine. Yeah. or your spouse's attitudes, but it's nevertheless something that a lot of athletes need to take into consideration is, is that holding me back? Yeah. And uh, it's hard to admit sometimes that it is or, or whatever it may be. So that, that is the coach's job. Athletes are not very good typically at discovering their limiters. 
they know their weaknesses, but they don't translate that very well into limiters. So if I, that athlete's talking about that doesn't climb hills very well, he's getting ready, he's coaching himself, getting ready for a race with no hills. He's probably going to go out and do lots of hills <laughs> because he thinks that's, that's what's holding him back, you know, but, you know, but it's not a limiter. So that, that's, that's my whole coaching philosophy is based on this idea is discover the athlete's limiters and then go about correcting them. If you can do that, you're, you're solving, you're, you're correct. You're, you're solving the, the, the issue of how do we achieve this athlete's goal? So that's the starting point for the whole conversation is what is, what is holding me back? I love that. It's, it's so important. I mean, you hit a, a lot of good points, like especially spousal support. Um, I find that that's probably a bigger challenge than a lot of people lay up to do because one person wants to get healthy, make this health change, and the other partner isn't quite on board just yet, or maybe never get on board. And then you hear about divorce and that stuff. You're like, eh. yeah. Um, and also, like you mentioned, the the course. It's always like train for the course, and and I love that too. Um, there's also um, well, I have notes here. Uh, you mentioned the diet, the training. Um, we have decreased in muscle muscle mass. Would that would you cause that as a limiter or aerobic capacity? Um, medications. These are yeah, some these things are, I got from your notes. Yeah. These are all things that are taking place as we age. Mm. Um, one of the changes that takes place is we lose muscle mass uh, as we age. Yes. And so you need that. That's that becomes a limiter if you're trying to, to achieve at a high level within your age category. Those athletes who are achieving at a high level within an advanced age category are probably doing things to keep their muscle mass from being lost, which basically means doing strength work of some sort. Mm -hmm. And there's, I won't get into this, the details here, but there's all kinds of ways you can do strength work. You don't have to have a gym to do it. But um, that's often a limiter for an athlete is, as they get older is they're, they're losing muscle mass, but they're always not aware of it because it happens so, so slowly. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that you just doesn't happen overnight you don't see a change in my muscle mass from, you know, from one day to the next mm -hmm. It happens over the course of months, if not years. Yeah. So if, you know, if you see an older person out, um, walking, for example, in your neighborhood person is in their seventies, eighties, whatever, nineties, maybe even what you'll notice is that they become, they're extremely small and they have difficulty making the movements of even walking, like stepping up onto a curb is a challenge for people as they start getting extremely old. And the reason for that is because they've lost muscle mass. And mm -hmm. it's happened over the years. They weren't like that when they were 20 years old. They were like you and I were, we were 20 years old. They had plenty of muscle. We all did. And we could, we could move and we could any way we wanted because we had all this muscle. But as we get older, it, be, it gradually goes away. Mm. You don't, it, it's this, this concept of use it or lose it. You know, if you don't use those muscles, they begin to wither away. And you can see that all the time in, in, in older people that they've lost muscle mass, but it happens so slowly that we're not aware of it. So you gotta be, that's one thing we need to be very aware of as we get older is you need to do something to maintain your muscle mass 
that involves strength training, which I'm sure we'll come back to in more details mm -hmm. later on. So that's, that's a starting point. You mentioned aerobic capacity is going to decline. There's no question that's going to happen. Uh, you can temporarily reverse it. You can start doing, for example, interval training, and you can cause your VO2 max to rise, but it'll be temporary. Uh, it may last a few weeks, maybe a few months, but eventually it's going to start going down again. It's just the way life is. You cannot stop your VO2 max from descending over, over the course of your life. Otherwise, if that was not the case, we would have 90-year-olds who are running, who are breaking <laughs> two hours and 10 minutes for a marathon. Um, just, just not going to happen because as we age up, we lose aerobic capacity. That's just, again, one of those things that happens. We can maintain it. You want to keep it as high as you can by doing workouts that kind of stimulate your aerobic uh, system to keep uh, the ability to process oxygen is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just your lungs. People think when you say aerobic capacity, that means you got to have big lungs. Well, lungs are only a piece of this. We're getting down to the nitty gritty now, what's happening at the cell in your muscles, for example, and the enzymes your body produces and all that kind of stuff that has to do with this whole thing happening. But it all comes down to what do you do in your, in your workouts and your exercise. If all you do is long, slow distance, it's going to decline yeah. rather rapidly. I, I, in my book, I cited studies that showed this happen with elite athletes. It took a, a group of elite athletes when they were in their 20s and test them for their VO2 max and uh, discovered they were in extremely good shape, as you would imagine. That VO2 max is typically in the 70s, which is really high. It's, it's the elite athlete category. And then they brought them back 20 years later to see what their VO2 max was like then. Well, everybody had lost some VO2 max, but those who had quit exercising altogether had lost a gigantic amount of VO2 max. Yeah. They were looking at the rate of about 15% per, per decade, or about a one and a half points per, per year, which is really high. That's what the average uh -huh. population can expect to happen. Those, who, those athletes who kept on running, but quit racing and quit doing intervals and in high intensity, we're losing it at about the rate of around 10% per decade or about 1% per year, which is actually quite good to be able to hold that level. And then there were the athletes who continued to race, continued to do intervals, and they were maintaining their, their VO2 max at the rate of about the loss of about 7.5% per decade or about 0 0.7, 0 0.075 per, per year, which is extremely good. And that's what I found to be the case with athletes I've known over the years when we have them test VO2 maxes and we have historical data, I can look back and see how they exercise, what their lifestyle was like and what their VO2 maxes are like now compared with then. And, but this, so there were two studies done like that. They're cited in the book and they really point out the fact we need to continue to do high intensity exercise. And I'm sure that'll come back again in our discussion. Yeah, we're going to talk about in, that in segment three, so in the third one. But I want to go back to the importance of strength training. Now, I know this, like, in segment three, we're going to talk more about some other things. But right now, like, strength training, because I know um, I made the decision, uh, I think it was 50, 48, 47, when I started looking at my muscles at that age, 
And I went to the gym sometimes. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll go to the gym. But then I started looking at, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't a necessity for me. It was just kind of like a luxury, you know, like I was going to the gym working out. But then I started looking at what my biceps looked like and my, and I was just like, oh my gosh. And then it just like, it was like a light bulb. I'm like, I have to be in the gym. Like I can, this is like, I, it has to be part of my life, like a serious part, but only a small percentage of us, I would say, actually think that way. Like maybe, you know, we use the winter to, because we're inside and we're not outside cycling all the time. We're going to talk about cycling here, but, but winter is kind of like, you know, the strength trainings, but we know, like you just said, you might do all the strength training and build up some muscle during the winter, but what happens in the summer? You know, when you decide to lay off for like five months of no strength training, Kid, I want you to talk about that. Like, because it's something that had, well, in my opinion, I don't know about you, but it has to be incorporated or should be incorporated consistently. Exactly right. It needs to be all, all training needs to be consistent. Inconsistent mm -hmm. training is, is for the most part a waste of time. Um, you've got to, you've got to be dedicated uh, to strength training the same as you are dedicated to getting out the door and getting in your, your aerobic workout, whatever that may be, swim, bike, run, whatever you do, mm -hmm. but you've got to be dedicated to strength. Um, it can't be haphazard. It can't just be when you feel like it, uh, that's not going to be effective for you. What's effective, you know, I had a discussion with somebody on the internet the other day about <laughs> the term consistency. What does that mean? And um, uh, this is this is at the heart of that word. You've got to be consistent. So what does consistent mean? Uh -huh. Consistent means you do it regularly and you do it frequently, but you mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. You don't do it randomly. It doesn't mm -hmm. just happen occasionally. It happens because you've decided you're going to do it on a schedule. For example, this may be you do it two times a week. You go to the, you go to the gym or you, you do whatever the exercise, it doesn't have to be the gym. It can be lots of places to be in your home, mm -hmm. but you, you go do strength work, let's, let's say twice a week. And those two days are going to be Monday and Thursday. Every Monday and Thursday, you're going to do strength work. That needs to be like a part of your life. Mm -hmm. That needs to be something you do every Monday, every Thursday, you do strength work. That's just become, and, and that becomes consistent. And this doesn't mean though yeah. that you never change the routine. You can change the routine. You can change the exercises you're doing. If you decide something is going to work better than something else, you can change the sets, the reps, um, the loads. There are things you can change throughout the, throughout the exercise program, but it needs to be consistent. That's, you mm -hmm. can. I've, I've often used this point that you can do the wrong things consistently and that's better than doing the right things inconsistently. <laughs> yeah. So just, you just go to the, to the, whatever you're to use your exercise station, <clears throat> go there, do it twice a week and just do something that's, that's involves resistance. Do something. I don't care if it's right yeah. or wrong. You just get started doing something. Yeah. Do some push-ups. do some squats, do some, you know, some, some curls, some crunches, 
just do something. And as you start doing these things, you'll start having ideas about things I could do better. And the thing will evolve over time. But the most important part is to do it every time you decided to do it, get out there and do it. Now, there are going to be things that interrupt the schedule. You're going to have to go on. I've got a business trip coming up next week. I'm going to miss my, one of my strength routines. That's just the way it is in my life. You're going to have to bring some bands with you. <laughs> I do. I take, I take <laughs> rubber, take those big there you go. plastic bands with me when I work out. Can't do everything, but I can do something. Yep. So you, you remain consistent as best you possibly can. And the whole idea is if you miss one of these exercise sessions, you just simply get back onto it the next Monday and the next Thursday, you're right back in the, in the exercise room again, wherever that may be, doing it again. So be consistent. I know, I love the people like, well, I can't fit it in. I'm out cycling all the time. I go, yeah, but you're not cycling all, and especially women, you know, cause I, I don't know, I think for women, it's way more important. Um, I don't know about guys, Maybe you can talk on that, but as a woman, I'm like, now is not the time to be relaxed on the strength training part um, because it like things just happen so much quicker. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and I found that, you know, strength training this winter has really impacted my cycling ability on a positive scale. Like way more than what it has before. I don't know what I've done completely different this year, but I just feel so much stronger. And maybe it's because of the consistency over the last two years. Cause I think it just, it compounds itself, you know, like, like you can't feel, well, I don't know, but, um, just, uh, like increasing your pro, processing or increasing your progress or your training over years like um yeah it just feels different and i'm not doing a whole lot of difference i've been very consistent in the cycling part and the strength training but i've been doing that for two years um do you have a comment on that like yeah you're doing the right things you're, you're staying consistent and you're staying focused on doing mm -hmm. things consistently um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, I, although I said, you know, you're better off doing the wrong things consistently than you are doing the right things inconsistently. That's true. But we can narrow this down to doing the right things also. That, that's what you should be doing is learning what are the right things for me? Mm -hmm. Where do I need uh, to develop muscle mass? It may be sport related things. It may be that you're a cyclist and you want to you want to make sure that your your um, your cycling muscles don't wither away with age. Uh, right. They will. You, uh, you know, I've I've had many friends who are 80s, 90 year olds athletes. Even one, one of one athlete in his 100s, cyclists, and uh, you know they're withering away. Um, even though they continue to to participate in the sport, the sport certainly helps them maintain muscle mass, but more focused muscle mass. Uh, correction in, in the in the gym or wherever you may do it is what you really need to to keep this moving in the right direction. You've got to be focused mm -hmm. on doing muscle mass that is related not only to the sport but also to your whole body. Mm -hmm. and this this is this becomes interesting. Point is the older you get, the more important everything in your life becomes. Quite honestly, we tend to have the opposite opinion. When I'm in my fifties, my sixties. 
I can cut back now because I'm no longer like I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s. Well, guess what? You're exactly wrong. Now <laughs> the issue becomes that you've got to be more, more dedicated to it yeah. because the body's going to lose it even faster now. Uh -huh. so if you don't become dedicated to it by working out consistently when you're in your 50s, especially, and continuing on into your later decades, it's not going to work. You've got to be very consistent now. It's more important. And, you know, 25-year-old, it really doesn't matter what a 25-year-old does in terms mm -hmm. of strength training. It makes no difference. Quite honestly, it makes no difference. They, and same with their diet. They can eat all the junk food they want. They're <laughs> going to be fine. You're in your 50s. You can't approach those topics in the very same way. And now it's become extremely important. My diet is important. My strength training is important. Mm. My exercise is important. And it's more important than it was when I was half my age. So, you know, it, it, it's going to change. You've got to be uh, willing to adapt by becoming even more dedicated, even more consistent in your training as you age up. Oh, my gosh. Like, seriously. I don't know. Like, that, that just is so true. And I don't know. Like I said, like when I was 48, like 47, it was like a slap in the face. I'm like, Sylvie, you can't just like decide when you want to go to the gym. Like this needs to be your life, like lifestyle. Like it was a lifestyle, but now it really needs to be a very regular, more regular, more focused. I, I can't even explain it, but I just like, what I say now is like, I am, it is, I, it's mandatory to do, you know? And, uh, and I think, and I tell my friends or my clients, it's like fifties, like if you can get yourself ready into your fifties and then keep building and maintaining, cause like I'm 51 now and I'm like, I think I see things changing really fast. I'm like, oh my God, like diet, like you need to have a handle on that. It, it's the, and, and I think it all plays a positive role towards menopause. I mean, that's not part of what we're going to talk about, but I, um, you know, being healthy as a woman reduces, I feel the effects of menopause by talking to, I think some you have, you do mention, um, some, there are some, chapters there's a chapter anyways you talk about menopause but um i certainly do feel that even talked to my other uh friends who are older than i am that being healthy has a seriously positive impact on menopausal symptoms if you want to say you know i'm, I'm sure that's the case I, i've got no experience, <laughs> you would <laughs> my wife that's your next me, book <laughs> Yeah. My wife tells me that it, it, it was beneficial compared with her friends who didn't exercise. So I think you're right. Exactly. So with that, that is a perfect segue to close up this first episode because next week's episode, we are going to be talking about diet and diet how important the routine is of sleep, eat, recover, train, and repeat. And so I hope all of our listeners have gotten some really great nuggets and <laughs> from this one. And maybe going back to the drawing board, pick up 
the fast after 50. Pick up this one. If you're training inside, this one is going to help because it talks about properly training, properly training inside so you don't overdo it. And then the fast after 50 is making further changes. So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow Joe on Twitter because that's where he is and uh, the podcast on Instagram and also to join our newsletter. Thank you very much. And we'll see you on the next episode. Um, we're talking about sleep. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that first episode talking with Joe about what it is to be a senior aging athlete. That doesn't mean we're super old, but it means that we've realized that things are happening in our body and we need to start making the adjustments. So I hope you love that episode. We've got two more over the next two weeks. All right, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Dow here and Joe Friel. And this is segment number two, talking about everything that's in his book, Fast After 50. What I've done is I've been listening to this a couple times. I got the book and I'm implementing, I'm actually happy to know that I'm actually doing things right, but there's still a ton of information that I'm taking here that, and that's why I asked Joe to come on the podcast again. We had him on with Jim Rutberg uh, last year. Go check it out where we talked about the ride inside his book about training inside. If you're training on Swift or Ruby or any other platform, make sure you get this. So you're doing things right. Um, and, but today we're going to be talking about diet. We're going to be talking like how important the routine of sleep, eat, recover, train and repeat. Maybe I say like communicate with your family should add that in there. But, um, so welcome back, Joe, super excited to talk about this topic. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, with regards, so we always like last episode, we talked about, um, you know, the senior and aging athlete, what does that mean? And, um, so today we're going to talk about more of the routine of things that we need to really start looking at very closely in order to get the results we're looking for. And that's where sleep is important, eating right, recovery, training right. And <laughs> now that we're 50, doing it all over again and right. So Joe, let's dive into which one do you want to talk about first? Sleeping? Yeah, sleep is one of my favorite topics. Oh, me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we can start there. All right. Um, bottom line is that um, what, I, what I've always told athletes I've coached when I started working with them is that we need to get enough sleep. That, that's really the key to their performance because during sleep, it's your body becomes more fit. If you do a hard workout, you're not more fit after that workout is over. You don't walk off the track thinking that's a hard workout. Therefore I'm now more fit. 
It's not that way. When it happens is when you go to sleep that night. While you're sleeping, your body's releasing hormones, uh, growth hormones. Uh, there's all these hormones your body is pumping out in your blood. The purpose of these, of which is to um, rebuild your body because your body's constantly being rebuilt. It's never the same from one day to the next. It's always got these changes that are taking place for the, for the, usually for the positive, for the better. And so um, the way, the way you, what you have to do to, be, to, to take advantage of this is you have to have adequate sleep. So when I was coaching somebody, the first place I would start with is asking how much sleep they get every night. Mm. And if the number wasn't a good number, which generally means for most athletes, if it's less than seven hours a night, probably we got room for improvement. Um, that, that's kind of like a, a, a starting point, I would say is seven hours of sleep a night. Most, most athletes don't get nearly that. Most athletes are way below that, more like a neighborhood of six hours a night, uh, five or six even sometimes. Uh, you know, triathletes, for example, they've got to, they've got to uh, get in a workout when they get home from work. And so they go out for a run before supper. So they have supper with their family, like around 6, 6.30 at night. They have supper with the family, spend some time with their kids. Um, by 8 o'clock, the kids are in bed and they realize they haven't watched any television today. They want to see the news. So they watch the news. Next thing you know, it's 9.30, 10 o'clock. And they realize they haven't checked their email yet today to see what's going on. they got some issues out there that have to be dealt with right away. Check the email. Next thing you know, it's midnight. And so they get to bed finally at midnight and lo and behold, they've got a swim workout the next morning at 5.30. So they get five hours of sleep. They're up the next morning at 5.30. They're in the pool. They're tired, but they get through the workout. They manage to get through the entire day thinking, well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll catch up on Saturday. I'll get, I'll sleep in Saturday. It doesn't work that way. It needs to be happening every night. The, the body just doesn't release hormones on Saturday night. It's trying to build, rebuild your body every day. And if you don't give it adequate time to do this, because this, these hormones are released in waves, uh, it's not like a continuous flow throughout your body throughout the night. It's waves that go on all night long, depending on how your sleep pattern is, is working out. And so what we need to do is you need to make sure we're getting adequate sleep to make sure that the body is, is actually reaping the benefits of the workouts you're doing. So what I ask an athlete is when I start coaching them, what they're, how many hours they sleep a night? The next question is, I don't like the answer I just got. The next question is, <laughs> what do you have in your life? What are you doing? And um, they tell me, and usually get this long list of things that they've got going on in their lives, commitments and so forth. And bottom line is, if they've come to me, I, I know that they've got extremely high goal. They want to qualify for Ironman Kona. They want to be on the podium at a national championship. They want to go to world's championships. They want to win a race in their town that they've never even come close to winning before. They've always came to me with these high. I never got the person coming to me who said, I want to be able to walk a 5K. I never got that person as, a, as an athlete I was coaching. They always had these extremely high goals. So when I have this conversation with the athlete and they tell me what their sleep hours are, and I don't like the number, then I ask them what do they have in their lives, and then we have a conversation. And I tell mm. them, if you want to achieve that goal, qualify for Kona, be on the podium, the national championship, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it may be, you can only have three things in your life. Only three things. You can have your family. We're not going to do away with your family. 
You can have your career. We're not going to quit your job because of this. And you can have training, nothing else, nothing else. But the athlete says, well, I would like to join the, the homeowners association in my community where I can be a big help to things they're trying to get accomplished. I would say, great idea. Why don't you wait till after you achieve your goal? Well, I want to, I want to join a nonprofit agency that works with kids. I think that would be a great way to spend my time. I agree. Wait till you achieve your goal. So let's put those things off. They're not bad things. They're, they're good things. Let's put, let's put them aside so you can achieve this goal. Once we've achieved the goal, then we can do more things with your life. But right now, you, you've just told me you want to qualify for Kona. That is not going to be an easy goal to achieve. That's going to take a great deal of dedication and a great deal of sleep. Six hours a night is not going to hack it. You're going to have to be getting more than seven hours of sleep a night. So we've got to increase your time in bed. We've got to do things to help you sleep more soundly. So this is the sort of conversation I have with an athlete when we get started. We've got to get you to the point where you're getting adequate sleep so that your body is able to use these hormones to rebuild itself. That's, that's the, the bottom line of the topic. Okay. So then I'm going to give myself, I'm going to use myself as, as a subject. Now okay. I get, I was just checking my watch <laughs> on average. I'm like an average, um, well, okay. So I understand, like I'm looking into sleep. So it's like the REM sleep and the deep sleep and everything. So last night I got five and a half hours sleep because I get mm -hmm. up at five. I know <laughs> your eyebrows. Just, ooh. I get up at five because I like to have some quiet time and do things and, and read and journal and think. So, and I typically cook. So I, I trained last night. I was on my bike until about nine o'clock. Yeah. Uh, I did a race, um, about a 50 minute race. And then I cooled down for 7K. So I kind of released all the, and I find doing that helps me sleep better. That, it, you know, do you just finish a race and get off your bike and like, you know, everything's still like tight and everything. Um, and so that would have left me around 9.15 and I sat in the hot tub and then I went, and then we went to bed for 10. And so that's kind of, even on an average night, that's kind of the time that I get to bed. And um, I use this watch, this Fitbit, and it wakes me up when my sleep cycles have gone through. So I found that that has made a huge impact on how I wake up in the morning and my sleep. So it, my sleep has not been disrupted for an alarm. Like I basically, it, it triggers when my REM sleep is done and I'm waking up. So it could be like 4.45, 4 5 o'clock, whenever that pattern is. And um, I feel rested, even though it gives me, it gave me a fair to average. Um, and then on the weekends, I, I sleep like eight, nine hours. Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> we, would, we would have a long conversation if I was. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're like, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so um, comments? 
we, we have to figure out a way to get you to bed earlier. It sounds like and that that's the challenge. And I, I and I don't know your lifestyle. There's lots of things that we do yeah. in our lives that uh, sometimes we just need to sit back and take a look and say, what what can I change? How can I how can I how can I do this to so I get more sleep? The other side of the coin says that there we're all individuals. And some people may be able to get by with less sleep than others. Mm -hmm. I suspect that's the case. Who those people are, I don't know. I can't say you're one of those people. I can't say you're not one of those people. I just don't know anything about you. So I, I can't offer strong, you know, un, un, uh, give you um, a way of thinking <laughs> about this. It's going to solve the problem for you right away because there's a lot more to it than simply saying sleep more. Yeah. Um, but if I was your coach, we'd be looking at your lifestyle. And is there anything else we can do here to to get you to bed earlier, so if this doesn't happen uh, on a regular basis, and if that doesn't improve your your training over the course of six weeks, twelve weeks, whatever it may be, then you're probably okay with the lifestyle you had before. And so I'll, I'll become less less stringent about it. Yeah. But um, if I if I'm coaching you and you're wanting me to get you ready for a gigantic goal, then that's one of the conversations we're going to have. Mm -hmm. And one of the changes I'm going to make in your life is to figure out how to get you in bed for a longer period of time. Yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle I've had for decades of that kind of amount of sleep. And I do recognize like when my body's starting to need more sleep, like I'm pretty on ball, like I don't draw it out, like I don't push myself. So you know, if I feel like I'm getting super fatigued, then, or my throat is starting to get like a, a sore throat coming on, that's usually an indicator that I've stretched it a little bit too much and I need to go to bed earlier and and uh, make up on it. And it's like, I catch colds like really quickly. I don't, no, I so I don't catch colds. I catch that feeling before I, get a cold. So I've never had Good. really a cold. So, well, that's me, but, and, uh, and actually I hit top 20 in my race, which I was super proud of. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, but, um, I digress. So sleep is a huge, um, huge factor. We realize that, um, I know a lot of people who, who run on very little sleep and, um, are fatigued all the time, but the other ones like we were talking about are um uh nutrition and you mentioned that before um do you monitor that and is that something that you work closely with your athlete as a as a coach yes you have much on yeah one of, the, one of the things we'll do in the initial conversation and this is by the way a screening conference conversation i want to make sure the athlete is right for me Right. And, and I'm right for the athlete. That's, that's what we're doing is trying to come to that conclusion. It's not mm -hmm. a foregone conclusion just because the athlete said, Hey, I want you to coach me that I'm going to coach them. Uh, <laughs> I want to make sure we're going to work together well, because I, and I learned that the hard way when I, in the early years of my coaching, it was I took on a couple of clients I should not have taken on and realized later on that we weren't compatible. So mm -hmm. I, I started changing the way I operate. So in the screening conversation, I have an athlete. Uh, we start off with them asking me questions. What, you know, what questions, what do you want to know about me and my coaching that might help you understand uh, who you're getting tied up with here? Mm -hmm. 
once they've done that, then I ask questions. And I'm going to ask questions, for example, about not only sleep, but also nutrition. What do you eat? What, what the, more, the more common question I ask is what foods do you not eat? What do you, what do you try to avoid um, in your diet? And that tells me a lot about the athlete. Um, I find I don't work very well with athletes who try to avoid like 90% of what the normal population eats. Uh, if they're, they're, they're avoiding this long, long list of things they will not eat, um, probably not going to be compatible with me. Um, if, on you the mean other like hand, dislikes or, or, um, no, I mean, don't uh, eat, just avoid. Oh, like low cow, low this. Whatever it may be. There are some right. things you should avoid. You know, there are things in our, in our nutritional diets that are fed to normal people that we probably shouldn't eat. Um, uh, I won't go into details on that kind of stuff, but, but that's, <laughs> oh, that's that, now what, I'm going to have to ask, like, <laughs> what exactly are you talking about? Okay. No, just give start, me one. One very example. basic one would be sugar. Like we get, you know, oh, okay. normal, normal population gets way, way too much sugar in their diet. Right. Okay. So if you're avoiding sugar, that, that's probably a good thing. I get it now. Uh, okay. So, and, and there's other stuff like that too, but that's, that's a very common mm -hmm. one that we think about, but most people don't even try. They just you know, consume sugar by the, by the pint. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so that, that's the sort of thing I want to talk about with the athlete is, is what are your, what's your diet like? Uh, by asking, what do you avoid? Uh, I ask them, for example, how often do you work out with other athletes? In some sports, oh. that's really common, like every day. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're a road cyclist, it's like almost daily that you'll be with other athletes because that's the way road cycling is done. You do it with other athletes. But if you're a runner, uh, you don't run with other athletes in packs and races trying to draft off of each other. You run individually. So if I've got a runner that comes to me and has a high goal and I ask how often do you train with other runners and they tell me every day, I've got a question mark that goes up in my head. Is this athlete lacking in motivation and has to have other people around them to get them out the door and training? And, and so I start asking more questions along that line. You know, let's, let's talk about what, what do you do on days when you can't find a training partner? How often do you miss workouts in those situations? And, and so the, the questions I'm asking are all getting at what are the things that define who this person is and are we going to be compatible? That's what I'm looking for. And so I go through all these questions. And so by the time I get done, I know if I'm going to coach this athlete or not. Usually it's almost always, yes, I'm going to coach this athlete. It's like probably 90% of the athletes that have come to me, I've coached because they're not really, um, they're not extremes in these categories that I bring up. Right. People who are extremes are the ones who concern me. For example, if I ask, you, what, what data devices do you have on your bike? Well, I've got a heart rate monitor and a power meter. Uh, how often do you look at the power meter and the heart rate while you're riding? Um, and they tell me, well, I look at it constantly. Well, that, that's, a, that's a red flag for me. They're, they're a little bit overly concerned with, with mm -hmm. the numbers. When you get back from the workout, do you look at the data you produce? Do you download it and look at it? And they say, yes, because almost everybody does. And I said, well, how much time do you spend looking at it? And they tell me, well, I spend a half hour looking at it. And I said, well, how, how do you analyze? What do you think about it? What are you looking for? So I start digging into these kinds of things because those people worry me also. They're overly concerned with numbers. And uh, that, that can be a problem when trying to coach an athlete um, to perform at a very high level. They've got to be able to understand how they feel. That's the most important thing. Number, um. I, I'm a data person. I love data. I love to analyze data for an athlete. 
but I'd rather they not get involved in the details that I get involved in because I'm looking for how to, you know, improve their performance and their training, et cetera. <laughs> Taking a look at it, that's great. I would spend more than five, maybe 10 minutes at the most glancing at it, but then forget it and move on. Um, I'll look at it and I'll spend hours going over all your data for the week and I'll get back to you and we'll talk about what we need to be doing to, to, to solve, you know, the, the, the little bump we've run into in your training right now or whatever it may be. So, you know, so it's that kind of stuff. That's, that's what I'm looking for in athletes is we're going to be compatible. I love it. Yeah. Cause you don't want the over obsessive compulsive person, like, you know, yeah. or I'm going to need to go out and, and kill that segment because somebody else beat me kind of deal. <laughs> you're like, right. uh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, those are great. That's a, God, you must have quite the questionnaire, but I love the reverse psychology of the fact of, of getting to know your person. Cause it's so true. Don't just take a client because they've come to you. They're looking for a coach. Like I haven't, I just got an email from someone. I have no idea who they're they like, I have kids. I need you to train and do this with, and that with, and you can come to my house. And I'm just like, uh, what? <laughs> I'm like, I think we need to have a conversation about what exactly, who are you? And what exactly do you want me to do? And just like, who am I working with? And he's like, yeah, I'll pay you and everything. I'm just like, um, I think we need to set up a meeting. <laughs> You know, it's like, (laughs) holy crap, what the hell? Um, And uh, yeah, so let's talk about recovery because that's another big thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, I have a couple clients, well, (laughs) a couple clients, like, and we went over stuff that, you know, like the whole, not as detailed as you, I like the way you do it, but it's, and it's also the FOMO of like jumping on other rides when you should be recovering and doing something else. Let's talk about recovery because like, man, that can screw up your whole um, performance improvement. Yeah. Especially for the older athlete uh, recovery mm-hmm. is, is more critical than it was when you were 25 years old, uh-huh. when you were 25 years <laughs> old, half your current age um, recovery was easy. You didn't mm. have to worry about it. All. It just took care of itself. What was that? Right. Yeah. It's like... Now, now you're in your fifties and recovery is no longer as easy as it was. Mm. You've got to be more aware of what's going on with your body. Um, and, and of course, recovery uh, varies depending on what the, the, the workout was that preceded the need for recovery. Mm-hmm. If it was a real easy day, you just went for an easy bike ride, for example, recovery is very limited. You, you just, you know, Get something to eat, depending on how long the workout was. Get something to eat, probably with carbohydrate in it, more than likely. Uh, get some fluids back in. Um, sit down and rest for a little while. But you can go about your daily activities pretty much without any problem at all from that point on. And that just takes minutes to, to be able to recover from, from a, such an easy workout. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, it was a really hard workout, an interval session, um, then it's going to be a different matter. matter. Now you've got to look at getting things done right as you come in the door from having done this workout mm-hmm. that could involve um, getting in fluids, which is one of the first things you should always be doing is making sure you get fluids in right away, quench your thirst, get in carbohydrate, probably high glycemic carbohydrate, which means it will uh, get to the muscles much faster and replenish the, your carbohydrate stores. So that would be uh, sports drinks, bars, um, 
once you've gotten that initial thing done, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time eating bars and drinking sports drinks. That may be just a little bit. You just walk in the door mm-hmm. and you grab a, a sports drink or a bar and you take it down right away because you just did an extremely hard workout. But now we move on to the next stage, which is satisfying your, your appetite whenever it comes back with foods that are more natural, um, mm-hmm. naturally developed. They're not produced in factories. So things like fruits, vegetables, animal products, making sure you're getting those foods in um, for longer term um, uh, recovery, Um, staying off your legs, staying seated. In fact, for extremely hard workouts, you may need to elevate your legs after the workout or even use devices like uh, recovery boots to uh, stimulate um, the return of blood to to the heart. Can you, can you talk about those boots? Sure. Um, yeah. they're, they're kind of interesting. They, you know, they, you slip <laughs> them on like, just like described as boots that come up to your waist. Right. And you have one, one individual uh, boot for each leg. And then you, when you turn it on, it, it fills with air like a balloon. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then it begins to um, move patterns or waves of, oh. of, of air up your legs from the from the foot up, so it's it's basically massaging uh, blood back to your heart is what's, what it's trying to accomplish. And you can okay. you can set the usually on these devices you can set it for how rapidly it does that and how much um, how much tension is being placed on the body. It can be have a, you know, a really high amount of tension being placed on the legs or a low amount, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So those those are pretty good devices for helping you recover. But bear in mind, this is the one thing I always like to remind people is, bear in mind, this does not mean you can go out and do another hard workout tomorrow. <laughs> oh, damn, use, okay. Just because <laughs> That's a good you point. recovery boots. Recovery boots do not mean you are recovered. You've still got to go through the whole process, food, fluids, sleep, and you've got to give your body a chance to recover. For the aging athlete, the, the over 50 athlete, that generally means at least two days of, of easy training after the hard day. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of the process you go through to get ready. You can add in other things. Uh, massage therapy is, is probably helpful. There's no the research isn't real strong on that, but athletes seem to um, experience an improvement psychological, if nothing else, that may be good. Uh, there may be other things you discovered in your diet that really help you to recover yeah, you know, like like shakes. You make a you make a protein mm-hmm. shake or something. Great, yeah. super. Do it. You know, if you discovered things like that, that's it's quite all right to do those things. But get the basics right in the order in which you do these things, which is fluids, carbohydrate, especially high glycemic carbohydrate initially. As soon as you walk in the door from the hard workout, then when you're ready to eat a meal, you start eating real food with an emphasis on fruits, vegetables, and animal products. And you get your legs up. You you uh, you rest. Uh, you don't go out and do anything else that's stressful right then. Um, you do everything you can to make sure your body's recovered. Yeah. Like I was mentioning, I got this, gar- my Garmin tells me how, how long I have to recover after like either a long ride or like an interval session. <laughs> I noticed that popping up on the summary, right? And I was like, what is this? 48 hours, 72 hours. I'm like, but, mm, you know, and it, it was just kind of interesting because it has all my data, like my age and everything. Sure. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. 
So it said that 72 hours, I can't do it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. No, I'm pretty, I relaxed on the recovery. I'm like, okay, we're in recovery. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of athletes could, could use that uh, because a lot of athletes are unwilling to, um, to say I need to take two days easy before my next hard workout. Um, yeah. You know, it's in back to being, you know, it's just going out every day and pushing myself to my limits. There, there are people like that. I know many people like that who believe they Me should too. push themselves to limits every day they go out. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And that's just not the way it works. It doesn't, it doesn't give you the benefits you're, you're trying to, to get. Yeah, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, and I think I maybe added this, is illness can come from compounding not enough sleep, poor diet, overtraining. Let's talk about that because sadly enough, I have friends who are in that boat where, you know, they just don't slow down and then your body takes over and they give you a nice little disease. I, I personally believe, like maybe you don't believe, but I, I believe that the body has full control and if you don't go into listen to it, it'll definitely slow you down to the point where, you know, maybe you can't even train anymore or be active. Like I know a lot of people, I know enough people who have developed MS, right? That's a nice little <laughs> thing that it can slow you down. Um, you want to talk on, on that? Like the, you know, sure. what can happen when you, bet. you don't listen to your body and you're just abusing it. <laughs> uh, interesting time you bring this up. The timing is really good. I just yesterday, I'm, I'm working on, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm working on a big project right now. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I, I needed to do yesterday for this project was to write an article on um, overtraining, mm. Mm. Uh, pushing, pushing beyond the limits. Um, I don't know how many athletes I've coached over the many decades I've been doing this. It's hundreds and hundreds but I've only in all those times only had one athlete who was really truly overtrained. He was a pro athlete, a pro triathlete. Um, he came to me himself. I, I wasn't coaching him at the time. He came to me and described his problem uh, over a cup of coffee. We just sat down in a restaurant and talked about this. The problem was that um, he wasn't sleeping well at night. When he'd get up in the morning, he was already tired to start the day. He had to push himself to get on, to get out the door, to, to train, uh, to ride his bike or whatever it may be. Uh, his, his performance was in decline. He was, his, his times that he could stay on the bike or run or swim where it was were, were decreasing because he just got too tired. And he's telling me all this. And I knew, the, knew of the guy. I never met him before, but I knew of him. He was one of the top triathletes in the world. He was... He had been named the USOC Triathlete of the Year the year before. Mm. He had won a World Cup championship. Uh, he was ranked fourth in the world. Uh, he wow. was a tremendous athlete, but um, he decided he wasn't working hard enough. So he had to push himself <laughs> harder. And he didn't have a coach, so he just started training every day hard. Whatever he had to do, he had to, he had to work hard every day. And so he asked me, so I said, you know, basically you're describing to me just a classic case of overtraining. And you're the only person I've ever seen in my entire coaching career who's overtrained because most athletes can't push themselves that hard. Most athletes reach the level we, which we call overreaching. 
which is they're just really tired and they have a hard time doing anything. But if they take one, two, maybe three days off, it goes away mm -hmm. and they're fine and ready to go again. When you're overtrained, you can take two, three, four days a week, two weeks off, and it doesn't change. It's mm -hmm. like an illness. It does not go away. You've got to be very cautious of this sort of thing. It's hard to get there because motivation is extremely difficult. But this guy, of course, is a pro athlete. He's making his living off of the sport. And mm -hmm. he decided he had to push himself to, to be able to compete at the high level he had established in the previous couple of years. So I told him, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take two weeks off. If I coach you, we're just not going to do anything for two weeks. And he, of course, he wasn't real happy about that because it was late winter. He's thinking about spring races. And I'm telling him we're, we're not going to race, you know, for quite a while. We're going to rebuild your, your aerobic base before you do anything else. And what we're going to do is we're going to just rest. So he took some, and, and after two weeks, then we're going to try an easy workout for a few minutes and see what happens. And so we did that. And uh, it took it took several weeks, as in months, to mm -hmm. get him back. Even he never got back to where he was prior to this episode, but he was able to win a couple of races late that summer, um, which was very uh, was a good feeling. But the next year he retired. It was, he just could not get back to where he had been at, you know, at the exceptional level he had been before, and yeah. all because. He just pushed himself to his limits and would not relent, would not quit. And he had to have somebody from the outside tell him to stop because he was just going to push himself into the ground as deep as he possibly could. So that, that's the, the extreme downside of the concept yeah. of overtraining syndrome. Um, most people cannot get to that position because they're unwilling to push themselves through the deep fatigue that this guy was able to do. Right. But you can get to the point where you're extremely tired which is called overreaching. And that's actually beneficial when you reach overreaching. That means yes. I've been working really hard. Mm -hmm. And what happens after you work really hard and you then follow with rest is the body gets stronger. Yeah. This is when those hormones kick in that we've talked about before uh, during sleep and you begin to uh, become a stronger athlete and it's because of the fatigue. If it wasn't for the fatigue, um, you'd never really get any better. You just always stay the same. You've got to stress the body. And the yeah. way the body identifies that stress to you is through fatigue. Yeah, for sure. Now, two things that we haven't kind of talked about is also stress and how stress, like you talk about good stress and you talk about bad stress and how that plays a role. And also we could maybe just talk about immune system, like, sure. you know, building up the immune system, tearing it down by overtraining as well. Um, so let's talk about the good stress and the bad stress. Okay. Or maybe we'll do the immune system and then we'll talk about stress. Okay. Well, the immune system is there to yeah. um, protect your, your body from mm -hmm. invaders, if you will. And, um, uh, so we've had a great deal of experience with this in the last two years of the COVID thing going on that we've got this invader that is trying to um, make us very sick and perhaps even kill us if we've got the right credentials coming mm -hmm. into that situation. So we've got to make sure we're doing things so we don't become overly stressed. So I asked athletes on my blog here back sometime last year if they'd had um, COVID. And um, they were over it now, 
but they were an athlete. Please write me a, 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 just a very brief statement of what happened and how you right. felt when you came back. Mm-hmm. What most of them told me was pretty much the same thing, but there was kind of a wide range of possibilities. Most of them are said that they, they, they were very tired when they started back and they had to be very cautious with getting back into normal training again. And sometimes this took weeks. And some people, they said they never got back to it again. There were people wrote in and said wow. been, they'd had it a year before and they'd never gotten back to normal training yet. So you, you can't you can't take these things lightly. Mm-hmm. It's not the sort of thing that you can say, well, you know, it's not going to happen to me uh, for whatever reason. I leave a healthy life or I'm or I'm 30 years old, whatever it may be. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you also. So you've got to do what you can to protect yourself. So we've we've learned that from COVID. Now we need to learn that in terms of sport also. There are other things out there besides the COVID uh, bug. Mm-hmm. And variants. There are, you know, there's colds. The common cold is something that mm-hmm. athletes are very um, likely to have happen, especially during the winter months when we're in, inside a lot with other people. They're likely to, to, to catch a cold and that's going to impact our training and get us run down and maybe set us up for something else. Maybe that gets followed up by the flu or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. there's, there's more probabilities that come out of this once you start getting weak. Yeah. And so you've got to do things to protect yourself from these situations. And the most, the most important thing an athlete can do in the pro in the, in the, from the perspective of training is to make sure you get adequate recovery, adequate recovery post-workout. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Yeah. The athlete who does not get adequate recovery post-workout is setting themselves up for um, illness. The immune system may not be able to, to fight off the next bug that comes along. And we're exposed to them all day long. It's not mm-hmm. like this happens rarely. It's going on all the time. And your body is always fighting off these uh, these in- invaders. So um, recovery becomes the key issue. We've talked a little bit about recovery already, but the idea is you've got to have time off from, from intense exercise after the workout. So what I have after the hard workout. So what I have athletes do is especially in aging athletes, I give them really two options for how we're going to set up their training plan. One option I describe in the book, Fast After 50, which is a nine-day training cycle. In the nine-day training cycle, what you do is you do a hard workout followed by two easy days. One, and one of those easy days could even be a day off. So it's hard workout, two easy days. And you repeat that three times. So that's, that's the nine days. That's a nine-day week. And then you repeat that entire week another time. So you wind up with 18 days of every other, of every third day is, is hard and followed by two easy days. And then after that, you take three easy days. So we give our body an even bigger recovery, which totals those three easy days are on top of the two easy days. So that means we now have five easy days back to back at the end of that cycle, that 18 day cycle. That brings us to 21 days, and then we start over again. That's one of the options. The problem with that is it works theoretically, but in real life, people have a hard time doing that because they've got a lifestyle. They've got to go to work. Yeah. Uh, they've got family commitments. They've got all this other stuff in their lives, and it doesn't always work out that you can go out for a two-hour run on a, on a Wednesday morning uh, because Wednesday morning, you just can't do that. You've got to be in an office in a meeting at you know at six o'clock at seven o'clock in the morning something like that mm-hmm. so it may not work for a lot of people if you're retired it works pretty well if you're not retired <laughs> yeah it's tough 
The other option though, and this is what most people can handle, is what I call 5-2 training. So every week you do two hard workouts and you separate those two hard workouts by at least two days, maybe three. So maybe those two hard days are like on Wednesday and Sunday are your two hard days. The other five days are easy. Easy may include a, a day off. So that means you take a day off. So now you have four other days that are gonna be easy workout days. So I call it a five-two training plan. But what it does is it always gives you a chance to recover after a hard workout for at least two days. Mm -hmm. And then you get a three-day break after the next hard workout, which means if you didn't quite get recovered on the first one, this gives you a greater opportunity to, to be able to, to get back to where you should be before you do another hard workout. So that's a five-two training plan. It's kind of along the lines of, if you read any of Steven Seiler's uh, stuff on polarized training, the 80-20 concept. Yeah, yeah. Very, very similar to that. Um, the numbers are actually, if you look at in terms, just in terms of the number of workouts per week, it's like 70-30 instead of 80-20. But it's the same idea. You're taking two days hard and five days easy. And I found that works for most people. They're, they're willing to do that because when they come to the hard days, they can actually go hard. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be mediocre hard. It's going to be really hard. So they can push their limits because they know they got two days coming up where they can take it really easy. Right. Now that is perfect, Joe, because we'll just segue right into the training um, with that, because that is the last episode. <laughs> Number three is all about the high performance training and intensity and managing the training performance. So I hope everybody got some really good information from this segment all of our listeners i uh, love to know what your takeaways are from sleep eating recovering training repeat and um don't forget to get your book fast after 50. the link will be in the description and also don't forget to get this one the ride inside <laughs> i have to promote the both of because they're really really good um so with that we're going to um bring this this segment to an end and you are just going to have to wait till next week to hear more about the high intensity and how to put it all together so thanks joe and uh thanks to everybody and thanks joe and uh we'll be chatting with you in the next one bye hey friends i hope you thought that was an epic chat about how important the routine is sleep eat recover train and repeat and i know i took some takeaways i hope you did too and this is great please share this one with your friends because all these factors make such a huge difference when pulled together and really um, emphasized on how you can use them to improve your performance and also your lifestyle right so with that and i hope you enjoyed that and we'll see you on the next one all right welcome back for another episode of secrets and saddle all things cycling podcast with your host sylvie do and this is the last episode uh or a series of the three that we're do doing with joe friel to break down not completely cover everything that's in his fast after 50 i highly highly recommend that you get the audiobook 
and the reading material because um, I started with the audio and it was amazing listening, but getting the all the reference material and the um, this book for the um, the tables. There's a lot of them in here. And I also, if you're training inside on whatever platform, the Ride Inside um, book is amazing as well. And you can also catch, uh, this is the second time Joe's been on the podcast. He was on previous last year. I wish I could remember the episode um, with Jim, Jim Rutberg, which is his co-author to the Ride Inside book. So we had a, an amazing discussion, all three of us. Now, for this last episode, we are going to be talking all about high performance uh, and training and intensity. Now, we finished off episode um, or series number two with talking about some training, how to um, set up training plans differently for the aging athlete. Um, so welcome back, Joe. I'm super excited about this segment. Thank you, Sylvie. Glad to be here. All right. So the first thing before we get into going back to um, talking about training plans is I had the, we have a little myth debunker here. So LSD, so long, slow distance, I think we're all familiar with that from running and cycling. And I am one of those coaches that have probably been hanging on to that um which i found out is not the case anymore so um and basically maybe it was good for younger but for the older athlete in keeping their performance up it's not something we want to do right joe well you don't want to continue <laughs> diet of lsd uh, <laughs> all right you just don't want to do that all the time. It does not mean that LSD doesn't have a role in your training. Mm -hmm. um, I always call LSD an easy workout. That may be another oh, way okay. of thinking about the same concept. So you wouldn't want to have all your workouts all, all the time just easy. Um, we talked about that a little bit in one of the previous episodes. Where we talked about the, the research studies that I quoted in that book. Mm -hmm for the athletes, some of the athletes after they were elite athletes in their twenties and they came back 20 years later to be tested and they'd done nothing but long, slow distance all the time. Uh, they had lost a considerable amount of their aerobic capacity, their VO2 max because of, of doing that. Whereas the athletes who kept on doing some intensity, not all the time, but some intensity maintained their VO2 max a fairly high level 20 years later. So, so we know this works. Um, you don't, you just don't want to do it all the time. Uh, what we want to do is we want to have a mix of workouts. We want to have some yeah. workouts that are easy and some workouts that are hard. The question is how many hard workouts? Uh, that's usually the, the, the thing that where people come to, to, uh, different conclusions. Young athletes will typically say they can handle four workouts a week that are hard. Um, not a problem at all. Four days of training every week that are really hard workouts, like in their 20s. Older workouts, older, older workouts, older athletes realize they can't do that. They just cannot go out there four times a week and push themselves to their limits. They may try, but they realize it's no longer possible. In that case, the athlete needs to have more easy days and fewer hard days. So this concept has been 
pushed quite a bit since the early 2000s because of research by a, a professor in Norway by the name of Stephen Seiler. He's an American <laughs> Mr. Styler. Yeah. (laughs) Now, before, before you get into that, Joe, and I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. We were talking about Steven over (laughs) He's been on the podcast too. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, Now, when you're talking low, slow distance, I think about it's like zone one to zone two, like slow heart rate. Is that correct? Like when you're talking low, slow distance, like you're, you're in that kind of range. The intensity needs to be very low. How you measure intensity and how accurate your measurement system is becomes the problem. Uh, For example, you mentioned heart rate. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Heart rate should be very low. Now, some athletes are very confused about what their heart rate zones should be. So if you're talking about zones one and two, for example, which I would agree with, if you're going to make it easy, it should be mostly all zone one, maybe a little bit of zone two because there's a hill occasionally you run into on a mm-hmm. run, for example, but it should be almost all zone one. The problem is that athletes set their zones up incorrectly because they use this formula 220 minus your age as a way to mm-hmm. determine what your maximum heart rate is and therefore take percentages of that to come up with zones. That is not the way to do it. That is not what that is intended to be in the first place. That's been that came out of a research study in 1972, which was not intended to tell us how to set up our maximum heart rate. It was another reason altogether, I won't go into the details of the research, but it was another research reason <laughs> altogether, absolutely nothing to do with this. And somehow, mostly the gyms, gymnasiums, health centers, spas and such around the country took this up as a way of talking about how to make sure you get your heart rate right when you do workouts in their gym, aerobic workouts, whatever it may be. And so they came up with this 220 minus your age based on that research study. And it's to this day, it's, it's still there. It's 28, 48, 50 years. After. Yeah. Those charts, those yeah. charts are still in there. Yeah. It's 50 years ago. They did this research study, which was not intended for this purpose, but bottom line is you, you've got to get your, if you're going to use heart rate zones, you got to make sure the zones are correct. Otherwise you may be doing something that's totally incorrect. I would recommend for most people, who are just trying to improve their general fitness. They're not competitive. They just want to be generally fit. Just don't worry about your heart rate. Just go out and say, I'm going to go for an easy jog. I'm going to make it really slow. That's fine. If I was coaching an athlete who was new to exercise, I would say, just go slow. Mm-hmm. Well, they asked me what slow means. I'd say, well, it means you, you're, you're not, your breathing is really easy. Well, I'm not sure what easy means in this case. But here's, here's what you can do. Sing to yourself while you're running, um, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. <laughs> if, you can get, if you cannot get out all those words without taking a breath, you're running too hard. Slow down, even go for a walk for a while. So the idea is to, to go slow and easy um, when we're doing these easy workouts. But not all the workouts are going to be easy. It's not right. going to be hard. Um, as Steven Seiler talks about, he, he's... 20% of the workouts are hard and 80% are easy, which works mm-hmm. out really well. Mm-hmm. I use something a little bit different than that. I say, let's do five easy workouts a week and two hard workouts a week. It's the same concept. Yeah. So now we're working with a different set of numbers, 70, 30, but it's quite honestly, it's, it's close enough. It's good. Two hard workouts, five easy workouts in a week is, is adequate for most athletes. 
Yeah, so let's go back to the heart rate because you're right, it's everywhere still on a lot of platforms. And I usually give I usually give that formula to people who don't have their zones done for what are like any kind of testing, but I have them incorporate their resting heart rate. So then it kind of creates a more uh, personalized set of zones for them. Right. And, you know, there's the calculation out there. You, you plunk it in um, until they maybe get their, you know, their F2P or their map done as a cyclist um, for who I train. And then we just use that. And then the Borg scale is another one, you know, perceived exertion. Um, but I do like that. And, you know, when I was, um, so is that, is that good? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> you want to, you want to make it simple and easy for people mm -hmm. to, um, to get started in, in, in the, pro yeah. in the program. And uh, if the person has got a history in sports, so they're not coming to you, you know, from zero, they're coming to you yeah. from having participated before. Now you can do things like put them on an ergometer or put them on a treadmill and you can find out real numbers for them. Yeah. Um, if nothing else, you can say to them, you know, I want you to, to run real easy on this treadmill. So I, I want to see what your heart rates are when you run real easy. And then you gradually pick up the effort and you, so you're collecting data on them all along. Mm -hmm. And then from that data you're collected, you're able to say, well, look, this is what I think your zones are going to be. And, and that means, doesn't mean they're going to be hundred percent exactly yeah. right. You may mm -hmm. be off a little bit, which is okay. But over time, you're going to refine the, the system they're mm -hmm. using so that they can exercise intensities, which are appropriate for the level of, of their participation in sport. Yeah. Well, heart rate's one, and then we get all in, you know, that we get into Watts and power output which yeah. is a whole other story. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and testing for that? Because that, that yeah. I imagine you use a lot for setting up your training plans. Sure. Yeah, that, that's it's the same concept. We're, we're trying to find, in this case, excuse me, the way it usually works is we're trying to find what the athlete's threshold is. Mm -hmm. Now, you brought up a while ago, the Borg scale, he's got two scales. One is zero to 10 and the other is six to 20. Zero to 10 works out really well with most people. Yeah. You can, if you, if you put an athlete on a, on a, uh, an ergometer or an, in, a, a, you know, an indoor trainer and you begin mm -hmm. to increase the intensity uh, of their ride over the course of several minutes, um, you can ask them periodically throughout like every, every, three minutes, you're going to increase the intensity, the load, but you can ask them every three minutes before you do that, how hard does this feel to you right now on a scale of one to 10, we'll say. Mm -hmm. and, and people are pretty good at doing that, especially uh, athletes who've been around sport for a while and understand what that means, what a 10 feels like versus what a five feels like and so forth. And what you're trying to find basically is seven. Where is seven? If you can find seven, then that's going to be about their threshold. So if you're doing this and they're collect, you're collecting power data while they're um, riding the ergometer, the indoor trainer, and they when they say seven, this feels like a seven. By the way, they won't say it that way. It'll be more like, <laughs> this feels like <laughs> seven. <laughs> There's a big difference between seven and five. Yeah. Um, 
So that's that's the way it's going to sound, and that's the number they're going to give you. And you can say that is about their lack, their their threshold right there. Their their functional threshold is about right there. So you can look and see what their power was at that point. You can look and see what their heart rate mm -hmm. was at that point. You're probably going to be pretty close. This is not like you're doing a scientific experiment. This is just trying <laughs> to get a ballpark number, so I've got an idea of where you're going to be, so I can so I can set up your your training intensity zones. Yeah. And then, so now I've got the zone set up. Now I can have the athlete do workouts. But even with that, you've got to talk to your athletes about sticking with the plan, the program. <laughs> Whatever the workout was that day, do it that way. Mm. Most common thing that stops the athlete from keeping it easy, for example, this is supposed to be one of those easy days. Most common thing that prevents that is another athlete. If another athlete rides or runs, or swims with your athlete, um, the workout's going to get much harder. It's no longer going to be easy. It's going to move to moderate because mm -hmm. what happens is the athletes try to half wheel each other without even thinking about it. And the next thing you know, you're going extremely hard. Everybody's breathing heavy. It's no longer the purpose of the workout. So what I've always told athletes to do in that case, you're right, you're out for a bike ride and you're doing an easy workout and it's going great. And lo and behold, you come to an intersection and you just happen to merge with another rider or group of riders. What you should do is at the first opportunity is to turn and get away from them. So you do the workout <laughs> by yourself. It's very difficult to find an athlete you can train with who's going to go easy. Very, very difficult. Right. Okay. Uh, I tell athletes when I've, I, I do, I, where I live, I train mostly alone, but occasionally I'll do workouts with other athletes. And when that's supposed to be an easy workout, I always tell them, I'm going to ride easy today. Well, here's, what that, here's what that means and what that means is if you start picking it up i'm just going to let you go i'm not going to try to stay with you because that's not going to be easy anymore on the other hand if it's a hard workout i'll have just the opposite conversation i'm doing a very hard workout today you may not want to do this you know you you tell me if you know what you want to do but i'm going to do a hard workout so i'm doing the thing that's right for me mm -hmm. the other athlete has to decide whether or not they want to want to do my workout or they want to do their workout their workout if they're uncoached usually means just go out and, and ride as hard as you can until you feel like you've really trashed yourself and then it's hard enough so you can call it quits. That's what most athletes <laughs> do, uncoached athletes. So that that's so you gotta you gotta educate your athlete and you can tell the athlete also you can't go too slow. You cannot go too slow. If you're going for a run, you cannot run too slow. So we just go right. as slow as you possibly can. It can't be too slow. There's no such thing as too slow. <laughs> So that's the bottom line is we're trying to keep them to the low end so that when it comes time to do one of those hard workouts, mm -hmm. they can go high end. If they don't do that, then everything starts becoming mediocre and moderate and they don't really get any benefit out of their training. Right. I know. It's like, this is just too easy. I'm like, I know. Stay there. <laughs> but it's so easy. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to fall over. No, you're not going to fall over. <laughs> you'll be fine so and then let's move on to um so that was great uh because yeah i mean training zones are are what a lot of us are following and um i know that i always try and get into my zone four which i don't know i find it super hard and it's supposed to be moderate oh moderately hard or yeah. you know obviously oh i have a question for you about zone three. Zone three, 
I've read is like the garbage zone. It's neither too low or too high. It's just kind of like there. And so what they've said is to not train a whole lot in zone three. So I've trained, I've changed up my training program to like either be like zone one, zone two, zone four, zone five, and not a whole lot of zone three. What is your take on the zone three? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's mostly to be, to be avoided, but there's an exception. The exception is if you're doing a race that requires well, yeah. going to zone three, you need to spend a lot of time in zone three because you're, you can, you need to return, rehearse the intensity that you're going to use in, in the event. Um, like, like for example, okay. an athlete like a time trial. In, yeah. It could, well, no time trial would probably depends on the length of the time trial. The length if the time trial is like a hundred K. Yeah. Probably zone three. If the time right. trial is like 10 K no, not going to be zone three. No, no, it's not going to be zone no. five. So it depends <laughs> on what, what the distance is that we're talking about. <clears throat> but um, the idea is to, um, is to keep the training low, lots and lots of zone one and some zone two, or a little bit of training up in zone five and zone four. That's the two things we're aiming at. Yeah. So you do a hard workout. Now, now I'm assuming here, this is an athlete who's not doing a zone three race, you know, a race that you have to do in zone three, like a hundred K time trial. Oh, um, right. If that's the case, then the athlete um, needs to be keeping it um, to zone four or five or zone mm -hmm. one or two. That's, right. that's how I would handle, that's how I do handle that situation with athletes is try to avoid zone three. You're going to pass through zone three on the way to zone four, mm -hmm. do an interval workout and, and the intervals call for zone four. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time in zone three because for example, with heart rate, it doesn't immediately jump up to zone four. It gradually moves up over the course of the workout. That's where you're probably better off thinking in terms of how hard this feels, RPE. So I'm, I'm trying to hit a seven on the 10 scale, Borg's zero to yeah. 10 scale. I'm trying to hit seven and it, it feels like a seven, but my heart rate is really in, in the zone three right now. That's okay. So it's okay to trust yourself and how it feels. If you get too tied down to numbers um, and always have to hit an exact number, especially with heart rate, it becomes um, extremely limiting. Mm. You're going to push yourself extremely hard early in the workout because of that. So you need to understand what's going on with heart rate. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because um, I was always wondering about that. But, you know, this is what's going on now. Don't train zone three. <laughs> okay. Um, so that being said, so we were talking about like lower end and higher end. Now, when we go to the older athlete, you talk a lot more about training in the higher end. And so that's where it goes back to your, you're talking about um, the nine day training plan or the five day, uh, five, four day five, training five, plan. Five, two, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> five, two. Five. <laughs> yeah, that was nine. Um, so let's talk about that because it's either and i think personally that i might be migrating kind of because i i feel guilty when i do more intense stuff and less like and less long, like easier rides but 
my training day is kind of like, like I train like three times. Tuesday is a race, Thursday's a ride, more higher end, I guess, and then a long ride, like 100, like 80, 100K on the weekend. And then everything else is like strength training or yoga and things like that. Yeah, so you mentioned that, <clears throat> I mentioned the book that older athletes need to include some higher intensity, which yeah, means like zone five type of stuff. Yeah. And again, your heart rate is not a, a good indicator of this. If you're trying mm -hmm. to use heart rate for zone five, you're basically going to try to kill yourself, push yourself <laughs> to extreme <laughs> limits. So the best thing to do here is to think in terms of it as being more like I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for like an eight or a nine on that zero to 10 scale. If you use the power meter, a lot easier now because power responds immediately. As soon as you start mm -hmm. pressing the pedals, power comes up to the zone you're trying to achieve almost immediately, a few pedal strokes. So, uh, so yeah, I do in, encourage athletes to do some high intensity training, but the problem I get into is with all athletes is they, they lack patience. Uh, if I tell an athlete, you know, so I, I'm asked occasionally, what, what's the ultimate VO2 max workout, which is high intensity. And I, I would say something along the lines of, well, let's say it's like five times, three minutes, then it's your VO2 max, which is like um, it's about as hard as you can go. It's like a, a nine on the 10 scale, mm -hmm. three minute intervals with minute and a half recoveries, do five of those. That's, that's the ultimate. If I said that's the ultimate workout, what every athlete would do out there is tomorrow go out and do that workout. They've never Great. done anything at all like that ever before, but now that's the ultimate workout. So they're going to start there. <laughs> um, that's, that's the problem I run into with athletes. They, they do not have patience. The reason so many athletes get injured, especially runners. Oh, we didn't talk about injury. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like this is a good point. Yeah. Is they're impatient. They, they will not let their body adapt over time. They, they want to force it to adapt. They want to make it adapt right now. I want, they want you to, to, to be fit immediately, body. Mm. You know, but it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way. The body does not respond to schedules. Um, you have to be kind of coax it along and so forth. So what I would have an athlete do perhaps instead of doing five times, three minutes at high intensity with 30 second or 90 second recoveries is I would have them start out by doing two times 30 seconds at aerobic capacity with a one minute recovery. Let's do that. Warm up, do that, cool down. That's, that's your workout for today. Uh, and that's it. Not going to go any harder. Not going to do any more. Not going to do any, you know, any, greater things here than just that. And then over the course of the interval, several weeks, maybe even months, I would build up to the athlete could do five times, three minutes with 90 second recoveries done at their VO2 max intensity. But that would not happen overnight. So that that's the problem you get into with athletes. As soon as you say, this is the workout, <laughs> that's what they do tomorrow. Uh, they're, they're unwilling <laughs> to be patient. Or it's like, or I'll just add on to that little short workout with a long ride afterwards. You're like, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you warm up, do the workout, cool down and go home. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it's like, no, you don't need to do another, you know, 20 K to feel like you just worked out. This is a good workout, <laughs> but, but yeah, I see what you mean. And here's another thing. Um, I wanted to ask since I got you here, quad, well, 
quality over quantity. Now, there are, you know, like, so you're talking about your 80-hour person, 80-hour weekday person. And so they don't have a lot of time for, you know, longer trainings. They just need, like, higher intense training. What is your, what is your opinion of that? So it's like higher quality workouts versus more workouts. Sorry, maybe less workouts, but higher quality over quantity, like lots of workouts. Yeah, I think, I think I understand. Let me see if I'm in the right place. Yeah. I've occasionally had athletes come to me and say, you know, um, I want to do um, a half marathon. And uh, so we go through the questions. One of the questions I ask is, well, how many hours a week can you train? Yeah. And they say, they say four. Um, but I want to run a half marathon in one hour, 21 minutes. You know, I'm 50 oh. years old. Uh, yeah, we've got, well, we've maybe got there's a, a little bit of reality that kicks in. Like that's probably not going to happen yeah, we, this year, maybe there. next year, maybe the year. Yeah, we, maybe we start off by saying you're going to finish your 5k uh, at that <laughs> pace. <does>. And we're <laughs> going to, we're going to build up to doing a half marathon, but it's going to be a long time till we get there because four <laughs> hours a week right now, quite honestly, just, is just simply not enough to be able to get you ready for that. Uh, I could probably help you finish the race, a half marathon, but I don't think we're going to run 120, 121 off of a, off of a four hours a week of training. Um, so we, we need some reality checks here to make sure we're doing the right stuff. So that's, that's the conversation I would have with the athlete. And we would start from that point. Then, you know, if, if it is, okay, we settle on doing a 5k, I got four hours a week to train. Great. We're fine now. Now what I do is we're still going to do, we're still going to do, the five, two idea, for example, with this workout, yeah. with this athlete, rather, maybe we're going to take one day off, probably two days off a week. That's for these easy days, still doing two hard workouts a week. So now we're doing three, three easy and two hard, two days off, but I'll, I'll start at the same place. We'll just do, we'll still do the bigger number in terms of how much easy train they're doing and how much hard train they're doing. It'll still be the five-two concept. So I'm not going to change that simply because they haven't got enough hours. I'm going to change the goal to be more realistic. Mm, is what I'm going to do, okay. and then design the, the training to fit that that goal. If they don't right. want to change the goal, we're not compatible. Um, right. We need to find a different coach. Um, right. I don't know who would coach the athlete under those conditions, but <laughs> maybe somebody would. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, those are pretty. Uh, pretty uh, big goals. Now let's, um, let's talk about periodization for a little bit, maybe just to tie it, tie a bow on it. Um, and with like, with regards to putting together um, your training plan, like just say like an, a nine day, nine day, because when I was reading that, like I mentioned to you, it was like mentally wrapping my head around that different number over a seven day, which we're so ingrained on seven, you know, the work day seven, get everything seven, we start over the next week and, and things like that. But periodizing that over like your four weeks, and now it's much long, like the time frame is extended considerably because if you add you know 
uh, an extra 16 days on that. Can you talk on that? Or sure. is that a big question? No, that's fine. That's um, yeah, uh, let's, let's, instead of calling this periodization, let me change the language a little bit. Okay. Let's just call it planning. Uh, that's what periodization really, at most is, basic yeah. level, that's what it's all about, is just planning mm -hmm. out your season. Mm -hmm. um, when we say periodization, the reason I, I tend to get away from using that word anymore is because we've now got, there's a backlash, mm -hmm. an anti-periodization backlash going on. Really? Um, yeah, it has for several years now. It's gaining steam, though. And, and oh, they've got really? a point. <laughs> the point is that among the anti-periodization folks is that we're... Uh, we're creating plans that we follow uh, blindly without ever thinking our way through them, which is not true, but that's kind of the way people have come to see periodization as being set in stone. And once I've got it on paper, I've got to do it. And that's not the way oh. it is. So mm -hmm. it's really just a planning process is all it is. And, and mm -hmm. it became called periodization because in the early days, there were things we did in various periods of the, of the year right. um, mm -hmm. that and so therefore it became known as periodization because there were types of workouts you did during one period, but not another period, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if you just call it planning, it takes away all that, that, that uh, challenging issues that come up with some folks. So anyway, long story, but the bottom line is um, that when you come up with a, with a plan for the athlete to, to train on, what I like to do is think of it in terms of being um, uh, on-demand training, so in other words, if the athlete is tired uh, because of what they did last week, then I'm going to take an easy week this week, regardless of what the plan calls for. Mm -hmm. so it's on demand. In other words, the athlete is telling me, or I'm seeing, maybe, maybe I'm seeing this because of their data online, that I just reviewed their data and I can see their fatigue. What I'll do then is say, okay, we're, we're just going to uh, take some easy days here and give you a chance to recover, regardless of what the plan says. And that's the way it should always be. You come up with the plan, but the plan is pointing you in the right direction. It's going to change. We all know that. It's never going to stay the same. Points you in the right direction. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, adjust as we go along all the time, on the fly, and always um, revising the plan. Mm -hmm. So that we're still going to come to race day ready to go, but I'm going to get you there from, in a different path than the path we originally planned to take. So um, if an athlete could do that by themselves without a coach, they're doing remarkable things because most athletes don't have the, uh, the um, patience, don't have the uh, willingness to trust themselves on such things. They doubt themselves that, I'm, am I really tired? You know, that, that's the sort of thing they'll say. It's maybe I can still do that workout. I'll go out and give it a try and see what happens. Whereas the coach... A good coach will say, you know, let's not do that at all. Let's do this instead. Let's just take it easy. And we'll mm -hmm. do that other workout when you're ready for it. You're not ready for it right now. I always told athletes when I was coaching them, if you weren't sure you were supposed to do an ath uh, workout, you could call me, but I can tell you the answer right now. The answer is don't do it. So you don't have to call me. <laughs> you know the answer already. Yeah. Can I? So it just can saves I a really? lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, no. <laughs> so it just solves a lot of problems because you can just make a decision yourself now because I'm going to say don't do it because anytime there's a question about whether or not you should do an a workout, the athlete needs to realize there's something going on in their mind or their body which is saying there's a problem here. It may not be obvious, but it's, it's enough for me to say, gosh, let's not do it.
and let's just be on the safe side. Better to be safe than sorry is the old saying. Oh my gosh, I so agree with you. Last night, for instance, I'm texting with my girlfriend who we're on the same race team and she's been she hasn't been able to train or race and she's and she's dealing with some like one of her kids who has some health um issues anyway and she's been up at night and she's like you know i'm just like i'm like don't do it it's it's not worth it there's so many other races out there like and she's like she's complaining about how her knee is super sore i'm like like and you want to go race like are you mad I go, what if you can't walk tomorrow? I mean, it's not worth it. And what did she do? She went and she participated. I didn't see her in the in the lineup. Thank God. She's probably behind me, but like in the in the crowd. And uh and she's like, Yeah, I know I wasn't gonna finish it. She's like, I'm gonna do it, but I know I'm not gonna finish. I'm like, well, why are you bothering? And your knees sore, and it's gonna make it worse tomorrow. And I'm just like, I felt like if I was beside her, I would slap her upside the head and go, I don't know what you were thinking, but that was like a really, like, I hate to say the word dumb, but a really dumb decision to participate when you know you're not going to finish, you're already feeling sore and tired, and we need you next week. So, you know what, I, I'm just like, uh, I was so mad yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and, and she's like, yeah, I'm icing my knee now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I hope you can walk on that. Cause yeah, that's planning on design or planning on, 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 uh, on need. When you, when you need to take a break, you take a break. When you need to work out hard, you work out hard. Yeah. You, or you just realize you're just not ready. Yeah. You know, you might need a little bit more time and it's okay. I think, I think a lot of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform perform for groups, FOMO, you know, all this stuff plays in so many roles that, you know, we, and we just don't have the power to say no. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Like it just, um, <laughs> especially in the online platform, you know, how easy is it to just jump online and ride with a group and push yourself more than you need to when you should be resting or going to bed earlier? I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, we should talk more about that. <laughs> That's what this, what Ride Inside's all about. <laughs> That's was like, know your limits, take your time. But this, um, yeah, so we've covered so much. Uh, Joe, I just want to um, say thank you for taking the time. I know that you're so busy with that new project. Do you want to talk a bit about that project before we sign off? Briefly, share yes. everybody briefly yes <laughs> not too many details but yeah i uh for probably the last eight to ten years i've been thinking about writing a book for coaches um kind of stuff i've learned and didn't learn over the years um all in <laughs> one place and i couldn't find a publisher though because the covid thing has changed the publishing industries considerably and uh so companies are changing the way they look at the possible the, the probability that a book will do well regardless so they, they didn't consider my book to have a big enough audience so consequently i was turned down like by three different publishers which is the first time it's ever happened to me so i'm kind of like telling a friend of mine who had been in the publishing industry and she was working for a company in colorado 
gets involved in sports and she went to them and told them about my idea and they said hey we'll do that so it's not going to be a book it's going to be a multimedia project so it's going to be it's going to be articles i've written it's going to be interviews i've done with people it's going to be um round table discussions of coaches it's going to be athletes views of their coaches it's going to be just slideshows wow. it's going to be kind of like everything it's going to take me a year and a half to put it together i'm about five months into it right now um and it's coming along really well um so it, 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 it's a, just taking a gigantic amount of my time primarily right now because i'm going on a, on a business trip next week <laughs> leaving on sunday so i can't work for for uh four days and I get back from that. And two days later, I go on vacation with my wife for two weeks to, to Europe. So I've, I've got to get all this work done before I leave. So we don't lose aren't behind schedule by the time I get back. So right now I'm really working harder than I should be. Well, I'm certainly grateful for you taking the time to fit this in. Um, Cause I, when I went through that, I'm just like, I need more elaboration. I think this would be great for my audience um who are all cyclists and training and riding and racing and 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 things like that too and plus as we get older i don't think we realize that we need to slow down or maybe you know we you know something happens and we have to slow down which is not really what we want to do like injury and you know illness and things like that so if we could prevent it then getting this book into more people's hands um, I thought that would be really good. And so I thank you so much for taking this time. And I look forward to that platform because that's where everything is, right? Online. <laughs> All yeah. your new cycling coaches will be able to access that and, uh, and do great things with their clients. So. I hope all of our listeners has really enjoyed um, and you've caught all three of these segments with Joe Friel. Um, certainly grateful, as I said, to have him here. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and um, our podcast on Instagram, uh, Secrets on the Saddle Podcast, and sign up for our newsletter. Thank you very much, everyone. Have an amazing day. All right, this is the epic one. I am so excited that he explained because as we get older, we always want to stay faster and excel at cycling. And how do you do it properly without breaking down your body? Um, I just love this episode. And I'm so grateful for Joe for doing this for me and being part of this series and talking more in depth about his book. Make sure you go and get it and implement some of the things that he suggests. You'll be amazed at how your body feels and becomes resilient. I know I'm feeling like that and I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing, taking more rest and being more cognizant of the whole picture. Take care and have an amazing day and share this with your friends. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. 
Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.